welcome back. You're watching Stock Watch with me, Pride Kumalo, tackling your stock-related questions this evening. Are Trickers Kumbrink from Capicraft and Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective? Don't forget to send those questions via SMS to 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at Business Day TV using the hashtag stockwatch. Uh, Graham, uh, Trickers, welcome to the show. Um, uh, let's open with, you know, sort of our local market wrap. I mean, We'll talk about the inflation numbers and what that means for our portfolios. I mean, it's been a number that's been, you know, focused on a lot. But I want to I wanna hear how uh, we closed locally. Trickers? Yeah, well, it, it, it's mostly red on the screen, except yep. for MassMart. That's uh, you've got to offer, you know, coming <laughs> its way from Walmart. Yes. So, um, besides from that, and one or two energy names that almost, you know, like Tungela, that almost lies into positive territory. Yeah, it was it was an absolute bloodbath um, in the last hour and a half or so of trading on the JCE. Um, so yeah, and and most most of it, um, I see Capitex down a lot. That that's uh, had a, a very tough week, uh, as has Discovery. Discovery down five percent. Um, so a few names definitely, definitely you know more um, sensitive, you know to to uh, higher rates all through the world, you know. Um, uh, I think this is a there's a big duration and growth bubble that's built up the last few years, yeah. and maybe some of those stocks listed here, you know, if be it Naspas or Discovery or Capitec, had very lofty expectations built into the share prices, and at long last, you know, fundamentals will catch up to you. So maybe we're seeing a bit of that, and obviously resources came down a ton as well in the last hour and a half, especially precious metals. You know, it's a stronger dollar. Dollar spiked. We're back to 17.40 on the rand. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Graham, back in the days, on days like these, we would look to, um, you know, gold as sort of a, you know, reprieve there. I see that today, even gold was down, uh, you know, on, on the inflation news. So what is going on? Um, I don't really know. I mean, if there was ever a time for gold to shine, no pun intended, it's now. now because, yes. you know, inflation inflation is, I mean, we'll talk about the inflation print of the U.S. now, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, with inflation as high as it is, there's a massive, if I call it a crisis of confidence in currencies, people will say stop being dramatic. But the reality is, um, you know, the dollar has been the poster child and, and mainly because, you know, the rest of them look so so lousy. Um, yeah, so I, I think, right in answer to your question, you know, gold has been around the 1700 level for quite some time. And if it's, you know, if it can't react in this environment, you sort of wonder what, what will get it going. But I think, Bright, your question is very powerful because there are lots of sort of traditional truisms that are just not holding true right now. I think that it's a reflection of, as Drickus was saying, um, a lot of anxiety and confusion in the market. I mean, I was out for an hour and a bit. I left and the market was down 0.1. I got back, it was down two. And I asked my colleague, what the hell he done to the market? <laughs> I left it in perfectly good, good condition and I came back to chaos. But I think there's that underlying anxiety and confusion and people are very reluctant to commit. And let's remember, you know, the Fed is going to continue to to hike rates. So that Hobson's choice about you buy equities because the alternatives are lousy is starting to look a bit tired yeah well the, the narrative is not holding i mean uh, you know you've burnt your fingers here holding um equities here to date it's not looking that great unless of course if you're in a specific basket 
in maybe SA Inc. type stocks and um, not the global sort of stuff that's been, you know, um, ran up a lot, you know, in the past two years because of COVID. But we're digressing here. Let's talk about these inflation numbers. Okay, uh, Trickers, I mean, I thought they're going in the right direction, but apparently they, they're not going in the right direction fast enough. It's the pace, the issue here. Oh, well, uh, actually, what, what I'm seeing as I, as I read through the the poll publication this afternoon, as I read through it, is that it looks like, you know, inflation has shifted firstly from goods, goods inflation, to yeah. services inflation. Services inflation is generally more sticky. And so you can't say, look at commodity prices coming down, so inflation will come down as well. No, 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 no. This is services inflation. That's to do with the labor market. That's to do with, the, uh, uh, you know, a big money supply out there you know, that's circulating, uh, trying to find a home. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, and, and a big part of that, I must say, is owner's equivalent rent, which is a, a very, um, yeah, it's a, it's a way they massage the data to uh, make the spike in, in home prices that we saw, you know, um, come through with a lag. And unfortunately, you know, uh, inflation is, that makes inflation a lagging indicator. I think the Fed will be aware of that, um, obviously. But um, you know, the optics of it is just bad. You know, they they need to get the inflation number down. There's midterms just around the corner. Uh, uh, you know, they would have liked a, a very weak number just before the midterms. You know, so for September, that'll be get published just before the midterms in in early October. So um, I don't know if they're going to get it. Maybe the oil price helps a little more. The SPR releases are huge at this moment. Um, I think they're, they're scheduled to release an extra 20 million barrels over the next month or so. Um, so they're trying to get inflation down. But um, it's, it's unfortunately, it's sticky. It's more, it's more broad-based. There's something called median CPI. And, uh, you know, um, the, the basket of, of various CPI components that's above 6% at the moment is growing. More than 70% of the basket is growing, growing. At 6%. Yeah. So it's very Graham, broad. You know, that's, that's concerning. Yeah. No, Graham, I mean, he touched on all the important points here, but I thought the Fed could actually do something about services inflation. So that's not really bad, bad news if, you know, they could still, um, you know, handle services inflation. But the issue, I guess, what it means is that increasing interest rates for longer. Well, Bryce, I think what 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 is happening, um, you know, a, a before us is is a very simple case that, you know, in the Fed we trust was kind of the mindset for the last twelve years. Um, you know, when 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 the punch bowl's running dry, they top it up. Um, you know, if anybody has a, a an asset market tantrum, they sort of put a plaster on it. So they've really been incredibly accommodative, um, and. You know, inflation in the U.S. was at or around that band. It was slightly below, and they wanted it that sort of fairy tale two percent level. But I think what we're seeing now is that inflation, respectfully, will take care of inflation. The Fed will use very blunt instruments in the form of hammers and spanners to try and contain it. But the inflation will eventually take care of inflation. I think that's the key thing. And to say, well, you know, the Fed is going to get the inflation rate down within six months is, 
as I think a, a pipe dream. And I think the reason the market had a little it's bit of a issue today. And, and hopeful. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. They, were, they were, I think the market was looking for 8.1. It came out at 8.3. So, you know, yeah. eight and a half to 8.3, your point is well made. It's going in the right direction. But it disappointed the market, and yeah. I think it's scaring people that, that the Fed is going to have to rebuild credibility. It's, I, don't, I don't know, man. If you're investing, if your whole investment thesis is based on what the Fed is doing or inflation, or it's, it's being tested right now and hard, <laughs> and hard for yeah. that matter. Yeah. And we have a question on the SMS line here, which says, LVMH or Ferrari, uh, which of the two luxury stocks should I look into? LVMH has more optionality, but Ferrari is better, stronger brand. I don't know, man. LVMH has got solid brands too, but uh, let me hear from you, Trickers. Yeah, um, both solid brands. Uh, I do think both, you know, are overvalued within this market. Those are the stocks that will get shorted, be it quality or not, uh, quality brands or not. They are priced quite richly. You know, if you if you um, compare Ferrari, you know, um, and obviously we're comparing a bit apple to oranges here, but. If you compare Ferrari to any other manufacturing company, you know, the, the valuation is just far, you know, outstrips or the valuation gap far outstrips the fundamental gap. So I, I think, you know, shares like that can still come down a lot. Um, high interest rates and financial conditioning tightening, you know, the wealth effect of lower market yeah. will certainly have a, a, a big negative effect on luxury spending as well. Uh, you know, and the big luxury spenders, the Chinese, are not doing too well at this moment as well. So, and, you know, traveling is still down severely, you know, quite meaningfully from 2019 levels, um, which is a big part of spending uh, on, you know, brands like those that LVMH produces. Um, so I'm, I'm not positive on any of those two. Unfortunately. Okay. Oh, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to see how, you know, after Porsche is listed, how it's going to trade relative to something like a Ferrari, because right now it's very hard uh, to value something like a Ferrari, like you said, as compared to traditional uh, motor vehicle manufacturers. Um, Graham, any thoughts on uh, LVMH or Ferrari? Yeah, well, I suppose the one sells um, almost affordable uh, handbags and, and luxury goods and, and bottles of champagne and fine cognacs that are almost affordable for, for real people. And the other one sells cars that are just, you know, it's a wealth effect. It's a, yeah. So I think they, they are radically different animals. I think um, parts of the world are doing well, but I think Rick has summarized, you know, the, the challenges. Um, and I not forget Russia as well in that yeah. equation. Um, I, I would say, you know, if, you, if you're looking at that, um, my sense is maybe LVMH will low, lower, you know, on a lower multiple and more broadly applicable, you know, maybe a little bit more defensive. But I think they do also sell um, to to people whose whose let's say the income levels are, are a little bit more volatile. I would maybe argue if you if you're looking if you feel you have to be in some luxury play, I would I would argue Richmond is probably uh, a better bet because I think the okay. the uh, you know the the watch uh, and jewelry maisons would give you a little bit more of a shield. And uh, you mustn't forget, Richmond sits with, with quite a lot of cash. You know, the management has been talking it down a little bit. But uh, if you felt you had to be there, I will probably go with, with Richmond, um, simply because I think the, the bulk of their sales is to people who are somewhat immune from, from these sort of, uh, let's say, quarterly uh, economic prints. Okay. Um, Drikas, um, we've got a question from the SMS line which says, 
How would you play Tungela with the stock going ex-dividend soon? Uh, is it worth buying at these levels? This is from uh, Ernest. Yeah, so, um, you know, Tungela is obviously looking optically cheap if you extrapolate the current, um, you know, the current level of the commodity that they sell, you know, of gold. Um, I think just in the short term, it might be a slump over the medium term. I think you still might make money even at these levels. But over the short term, I think the, the energy crisis in Europe was very acute in, in the recent months. You know, a heat wave coupled with low rainfall, etc. It's just a perfect storm. So even though I'm, I'm bearish on the European energy situation, medium to longer term, don't get me wrong. Um, I think it was acute and it's shoulder season now, you know, between it's, it's um, autumn now, um, you know, just before winter. Uh, energy usage is down. So um, I think they might be burning less gas and coal in, in the next two months. Uh, and then, you know, it, you might see some new record levels come, come, come December, January when you get a cold front in Europe. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, um, but I'm not one for playing the weather. Do you have anything to add to, to, to your Tungela thesis or should we move on to, well, asking um, Graham about uh, Tungela, his thoughts on Tungela? I mean, uh, at 350. Yeah, I think, yeah, you, yeah. Know, you know, Bright, we spoke about it a little while ago and I think Drick has summarized it beautifully. I think short term, there might be, there might be money to be made in it, but long term, uh, you know, I think coal is a dirty fossil fuel and it's going to battle. So, I think short term you might be okay, but I don't think you want to be there three or five years from now. So that's the best I can add to what Drickus gave, which I thought was good. Okay, okay, uh, fair enough. Uh, we have a question about Hulamin uh, from Brad, who says, I was wondering if the panel has an opinion on a possible turnaround for Hulamin. I mean, looking at the micro outlook. Yeah, uh, I, I haven't followed Uleman per se, but uh, I would say something, and that is that, you know, there's quite an energy differential at the moment between Southern Hemisphere or the Global South economies like ours, like Brazil, Indonesia, etc. We've got cheaper energy all of a sudden. You know, we've, we've had increasing energy costs for the last 15 years relative to uh, most manufacturing um, countries. But all of a sudden, Japan, um, Europe and China, both three manufacturing hubs, or, you know, you, you know, input costs have gone through the roof. And all of a sudden, the likes of OrcelorMittal, Marafi, etc., those guys are spewing out cash because we, they source the energy locally, most of it, and they've got inflation-linked contracts, a lot of them. Um, obviously, um, you know, we, we're sitting on a time bomb ourselves with regards to ESCOM. If that <laughs> doesn't get sorted, that, you know, that... Um, competitive gap closes again quite quickly. But at the moment, you know, um, there's a big opportunity for economies like ours, like Uleman, and, and um, you know, like I said, I think Brazil is the one, Indonesia, maybe Argentina, etc., to pick up, you know, that competitive gap that has, you know, as just a, opened up in the last 12 months or so. Yes, I mean, keeping that in mind, Graham, and, and the fact that, you know, they, they do supply... A meaningful amount to the you know canned goods market how's the macro outlook for for that as well i mean because i mean I, I guess that's where the big turnaround is going to come from yeah look brad i, I don't follow human closely but i remember when they did the original roadshow 
Um, the big narrative was, you know, they make, uh, you know, they make aluminium extrusion products and so forth, but, um, you know, like gutters and things like that. But, but the, the big business, of course, is in the packaging space and they had quite a lot of IP there. So I think it becomes, from an SA point of view, largely a GDP kind of play. Um, that packaging kind of space, I think, is, is very, very competitive um, with a few global giants and local giants sort of keeping you um, honorable, if I could put it that way. So, um, you know, when you just look at a company, you say, well, it's on a, a 1.6 PE, it looks ridiculous. But, um, yeah, I think there are a lot of SA Inc. companies, and I think you alluded to it uh, in the introduction, Brighton, something that we should always keep keep in the back of our mind. You know, we tend to talk about Nuspers and, and, and uh, Richmond and Anglo-American and BHP and Glencore and all these things. And we, we ignore companies like Hewleman and, um, you know, SA Inc., who many of them have actually done really good jobs at rebuilding the income statements. They've taken, you think about companies like the Fushini Group, who've emerged, uh, you know, post-COVID, I think, in a much better, better place with a strong balance sheet, etc. So I think... Um, the, the bottom line is a lot of South African smaller and mid-cap companies are looking compelling. Um, but in answer to the question, I, I don't have any granular detail or enough to, in, on Huleman, but I would say in that kind of space, um, SA-oriented, um, particularly kind of industrials and, and smaller financials, there's a lot of value. And I think you can, you can probably do a very good job at picking up in this sort of chaotic sell-off that we've seen in the last few months. Talking about a chaotic sell-off and SA Inc. type uh, good businesses that have been generating a lot of cash. We've got a question here uh, on email from Dumel who says, hello, can you ask the panel what's going on with Merafe, um, which is an interesting counter. I mean, uh, and Selungano, they've been in the red. So Merafe... Um, yeah, so we just touched on, 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 you know, on the manufacturing locally. Merafe has made a lot of money in the last two periods. Yeah. Um, is it sustainable? A lot of it maybe not. You know, ferrochrome prices are coming down in the east. China is struggling to recover. Maybe they'll recover, uh, you know, um, just past the, um, the um, COVID um, Communist Party um, conference in October. Oh. Once that is done, you know, they might open up the economy. Um, they've got some new vaccines rolling in, et cetera. And, you know, ferrochrome prices are much linked to uh, industrial activity in China. And um, then it might be on for Merafi. Merafi, if they can duplicate anything near the uh, profit profitability that they've done the last six or 12 months, then it's, it's extremely cheap. Okay. And uh, Graham, any thoughts on Merafi or Selugano? No, I think um, I think Trickus has summarised it well. But you know, these things are very geared to what happens in in China. I think he, he made that point well. Uh, but I, I think I tend to agree with Trickus. I think you know, um, uh, ahead of the conference, there's been a lot of confusion and sort of boot on throat kind of uh, attitude from the from from the ruling party, but uh, well, the ruling party from the party officials. Um, and I think that'll ease up because. Uh, you know, they don't want to put that economy into the stalls. So I think there's a reasonable prospect that China sort of picks up. And whether that just means, you know, means that, that it, you know, the, the local economy starts doing better or it's a super cycle in commodities, time, time will tell. But I think the, the reality of it is that we've got to sit quite close to the door in a lot of these commodity stocks. I think uh, valuations look cheap. Uh, there's a lot of excitement around. But, 
you know, we can slip on banana peels if China doesn't quite yeah. perform. And also, you know, supply demand in many metals is a little bit more delicately balanced than people make out. I know in things like copper, it's different. But um, yeah, sorry, I'm rambling on. But um, I think if you if you like the Marathi story on the ferrochrome outlook on China, then, you know, by all means, go for it. But what I'm saying is sit close to the because uh, you may have to reverse that quite quickly. Yeah, you have to watch it very closely. Um, you know, our SMS line's on fire here. Uh, we have another question which says, please ask the panels for their view on Zeta. It's all gone very quiet and very sideways. So, Zeta, trick us. Well, you just got earlier this year got a 92-cent dividend. So, um, <clears throat> you know, they... they, they um, unbundling most of the businesses. Cape Span is ob the obvious next one to to sell. I think it was on the market, but uh, but uh, I think they're struggling to sell that one. Um, uh, there's a few other options that Zida can do. Uh, what you must keep in mind is that PSG has just recently bought, well, the transaction I think is going through at the end of the month, buying um, Zida shares from PSG minorities. That'll give them a major stake in Zida. Uh, and I won't be surprised if they take Zeta private from here um, or something of the likes or one bundle Cape Span or something there's a lot to do. I don't see Zeta continuing in its current state. Neither does management or PSG, the major shareholder. So I think there's some more value on coming. And the uh, last stated NAV was 2 Rand 64 about. Um, so it's, maybe you'll get something between that NAV, which I actually think is much higher, but maybe you get something between 190, you know, 185 and 260, you know. Um, so there's, I think there's some money on the table for, for a relatively low-risk trade. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, not, it's not much, but it's honest work, right, as they say. <laughs> um, anything to add there, uh, Graham? I think um, I would agree with you because I don't think this will be listed a year from now. I mean, PSG has made their overall intentions quite clear. clear. Um, Zeta was supposed to be an aggregator of assets that hasn't happened more recently. So I would agree it's on its way out. The question is just, are they going to offer you fair value? You know, what is Zart worth? I think given what we saw in the, you know, in the citrus crop courtesy of the Ukrainian war, uh, it's pretty easy to say there's, you know, Cape Span is not worth what, what people thought it was worth a year ago. Yeah. So I think, you know, we hold these things from a legacy point of view and we're just going to wait for the, for the cash offer. Um, whether there's enough in it to 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 buy, I hear what Rickus is saying. You know, you pay one hundred eighty five for two rand forty value, but I don't know if you'll get two rand forty. I think there are other discount to NAV plays that are maybe a little bit more um, uh, compelling. Attractive. If I could put it that way. Oh, okay, fantastic. Your stock pick for the evening, um, Graham. Let's start there. Well, yeah, basically led into it. Um, you know, we've we've sort of punted on about Ethos Capital, the whole narrative around listed private equity. Um, we're listing as a permanent vehicle for source of capital for private equity. The narrative remains. They're releasing on the 28th of September. Uh, I think the register is getting tighter and tighter. You saw the break update. Uh, Virgin Active is looking better as a, a listing on the cards for uh, Premier, even at new look, you know. So, um, I think the break portfolio things are looking better. And uh, in the ethos portfolio, things like Channel Vars, I think are trading very, very well. So my best guess is that thing's trading at about 50% discount to NAV. Um, I really think it's it's a compelling story. I can't see you losing much money from these levels. Uh, and, it, you know, if the discount narrows to, say, 20%, 
over the next three or four years, plus the underlying ops or NAV boost. I think it's a very compelling story. Uh, okay, Ethos uh, and and you, Trikas, uh, your pick for the evening? Yeah, Era Portario del Centro Norte, OMAP, um, listed on NASDAQ. Uh, they own the Monterrey Airport in the north of Mexico, which is kind of a, a business and industrial hub. It's, quite, it's growing quite fast. It's part of the um, onshoring, um, you know, you're seeing a lot of onshoring happening in that area. Um, onshoring meaning that, you know, business returning to, um, to North America country. from the east. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and it's in Mexico, which it's, it's normally cheap. So it is. It's about 30% discount to most other airport owners. And I think they're sitting on a growing asset there. Um, and instant great inflation edge. You said, the well, what's their name again? Aeroportario del Centro Norte. <laughs> Yo, I'm going to have to learn that. It's Aeroporte O-Map. something, something, O-Map. something. O-M-A-B, yes. O-M-A-B. Okay, fantastic. So you're going with O-M-A-B and um, Graham is going with Ethos. It's going to be an interesting one because that one listed at 10 and it's trading at half that. So they got a lot of work to do. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, thanks to my guests, Drickers Kornbrink from Capicraft and Graham Koenner from Koenner Perspective. Julieta is back again tomorrow with Stockwatch. Uh, same time, same place. Have a good evening.